base layer level of AI that's going on, right? Even I don't if you're call in your, that AI, but your Apple calendar and it's like it just put a bunch of things or like I had one in there the other night for a concert I was going to. I never added it manually, but it's like from your mail or whatever, right? Because it sees there's like a Ticketmaster right. thing or you've got like your Google wallet or like whatever yeah. for the event. So it's like, oh, you're going to an event. Yeah. I'll put it in your calendar. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Wing It Podcast, GooseDigital.com, episode 92. Who do we have? Just Kevin Butler. And just Michael Turksani. Reflections of a marketing podcast. What do we call this again? Unhinged. Unhinged. <laughs> Unhinged. This is when we talk about the, uh, the, the, what we're seeing in the, in the landscape of a digital agency. That's a really nice way to say no agendas, no prep. We're just going in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get our ideas from uh, from what happened the, the the week prior, but actually we haven't done an, an episode in a couple weeks, probably. A few weeks. Yeah, mm-hmm. because we've been rolling the snips hard, right, Harsh? Yeah, we've had so, lots going on. We've had um, a few events. Well, you were you were you guys were traveling to act on. Yep. Then uh, we had two insurance events: one uh, Western Canada, one Eastern Canada here in Toronto. Trufla Amplify week. in Calgary. Yep. Right, I went to that. That was really well done by the Trufla team. Yep. Smaller, but super high end and and really, uh, uh, really great conversations, great content. And then mm-hmm. IBAO, mm-hmm. IBAO Con, Con as they call it now, right? Mm-hmm. And that was this week. I heard that was good. Yeah, it was really good. So we're and that's interesting because we were we were talking about this before we got on. Like you know, what are we going to talk about? Because this is the unhinged, <laughs> right? Uh, and we, we we did, we did throw around an idea of talking about the events a little bit. The role know? of events now. Yeah. Well, we can quickly get into it. Like just as a quick recap for all marketers who are well aware of this, we had, you know, five years ago, we had a lot of marketing plans centrally revolving around events mm-hmm. of all sizes, right? Huge conferences and maybe smaller user conferences, um, and then we went through the pandemic, of course, where there's no events, which forced a real pivot on marketing spend, campaigns, how do we get in front of an audience who aren't at these huge industry conferences. Mm-hmm. And then now, post-post-pandemic, it's sort of reintegrating the role of some events into a marketing plan again. So we're, you know, call it back to normal or whatever. But, I, you know, what I see in here is um, there's still a time and a place for the top industry events in your particular industry. The one that really brings in all of those decision makers and um, target contacts that you seek, those are still worth being at. It's yeah. sort of like the the tier two events where you're like, ah, I don't really know those are where we're getting cut. I also think like, because I heard this a few times in the last quarter of, of a couple of these events that we were at that People are like, yeah, you know, we're, you know, it's so good to be back and, and this and that. And I'm like, well, weren't we back last year? But I guess we, you know, IBAO and a few of these shows, they started back last year. And I think that maybe that's why they're sort of like, no, like 2023 is probably like the first full year of like real, 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 real back to normal. But I also think there's a bit more pressure on these events, like you said, for them to be relevant and, and valuable. It's like um, a re-justification to everyone who's attending, whether it's vendors or even um, just attendees themselves. Yeah, like I know like IBAO did a great job this year of like 
a, a new rebrand and a, a new look. You know, that wasn't really the case last year. Like, the, I think it was kind of like, well, the first one after COVID and we're sure, reusing yeah. the stuff that we're doing. This year was like full on. They had a bunch of new, uh, a new, not just the new brand and, and the new kind of look and feel, but like new ways for uh, vendors to sponsor. Just like, like it, it really felt like different um and and refreshed actually like not just a holdover so i can see that being was true flow was i would say really well done as well like it yeah. was it was i have nothing to compare it to because i've never been to the other amplify conferences but it was in a in a great venue that was just the right size for the amount of people that were there so it felt it felt very um large but intimate you know you could still get to everybody um and i think events like that in today's world, it's like if I'm gonna like haul myself out there, I'm gonna go, you know, fly across across the country, whoever it might be. Mm-hmm. There's a bit more of that, like, hey, this better be worthwhile. I'd, you know, I could see, I could see people kind of getting a little bit impatient if they get out there and it's like, ugh, this really isn't adding a ton of value. I was talking to someone earlier this week, actually. She's a super senior marketer. She's in kind of month one of her new job, VP level. And she, she's a true VP. She's, it's not a first-time VP. And as part of her new role, she's like, you know, I'm going to go to this conference that we're, we're, we're attending, and I'll work the booth and really get to understand my, my audience, my network, mm-hmm. you know, the prospects coming in. And she posted this on LinkedIn, and so I, I started talking with her. It's a four-day conference, like four-day of exhibiting. Ooh. And I just thought, like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You can't have four days. Like, in at least in B2B, of actual exhibiting, it's usually two days, maybe three, with like a half sort of day, a, maybe a networking open bar thing on mm-hmm. one of the nights, right? So I thought four days of standing in a booth—that's like, you know, that's pretty taxing. You know, get some good shoes. But I just thought, and as you're talking about events here, it's going to be up to the 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 hosts of the event, those running them. You've got to make them efficient worth everyone's time like there's a there's a long rant we can have about value to vendors who are basically paying mm-hmm. for the whole event itself yeah and making sure that they get their moments and touches with the audiences that they want to speak with um i'm working with one of our clients on a few events recently and they've been doing some of the smaller retail shows and <clears throat> now you're starting to see these shows whether it's like the big ones like shop talk who did this or in this one it was a uh, retail spaces mm-hmm where they're doing kind of more um, like speed dating sort of introductions between vendors and um, sort of buyers. They're understanding what the buyers are interested in and they're actually uh, oh, connecting them that's in that matchmaker role, yeah. which is really cool. So it's becoming more valuable for both sides. And guess what? Everyone comes out of it with more value, more um, yeah, I like good the, meetings, I, yeah. like things like that. So I thought mm-hmm. in contrast to a four day event of just standing in a booth, so anyways, yeah. I just think it's going to be on these events to really show their value and come up with, like you were saying, for IBAO. I think it sounds great. Different ways to approach this, because I think the old way of just standing in booths and just waiting for people to come, that's not happening anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's. I think there's a. There's definitely, like, for us now, seeing it, there's a role that, that I think all marketing teams need to sort of factor back in. And it's not like, hey, of course we should, but I think people were a little bit unsure how would these factor in um, post-COVID? You know, sure. are we just going to keep running virtual? Oh, well, you know, they had virtual event platforms and that's just what's going to happen. So if it's a physical event, half the attendees will be virtual still going into the future. And it's like, 
actually like these places aren't even offering virtual events like virtual I mean there might be some big ones that still have some you know ability to get content virtually but like it definitely feels like the priority mm. is is in person that's where the, you know that's where the focus is and and I think you know where yeah. it's kind of interesting the fatigue that came from you know the zoom fatigue and all this kind of stuff and people are like I, I don't want to sit through like any kind of conference on online if I don't have to. So if I can get a budget to get out there, I'll probably take that as long as, you know, there's enough stuff for me and, and my organization. You know, nobody talks about in-person fatigue. And what I mean is like pre-pandemic, we're all used to being in the office three to five days a week. Yeah. You know, tech sometimes you work from home, whatever, but you're just, so you're used to that eight, nine, 10 hours of professional interaction where you're like, you know, you, you've got to be on, mm. you got to present well. And then, pandemic comes and all of a sudden it's all on screen it's all from home maybe you're in your sweatpants working whatever you're comfy and then you come back into the office or you come back into events sure and you've got to go back and be on all the time and i think there's a level of like tolerance a lot of us have lost where you're just not used to that so you do your three-day event whatever yeah and it's kind of like mentally taxing it's it's a bit grueling and i, I recognize there's bigger things going on in the world and that are way worse and more severe on a real deeper level. But as far as like what you're used to on a recency basis, you're like, I'm exhausted from shaking hands for three hours. Yeah. Right. And so I think there's a bit of that where it's like, we're getting used to this and yeah, that's, that's a very real thing as part of all this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So that's a little update on events. Mm-hmm. What we're doing on events. We're going to, we're going to definitely roll some out into next year. I think um, looking at obviously the insurance events in Canada and probably attending more of the. Oh, there is, there is, sorry, sorry to interrupt. There is one thing I wanted to actually talk about events because I thought this was interesting is when, when looking at different styles of events, if they're industry conferences and the sizes of them, I think they're interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking about this um, the other day, actually, is one of my, our team who was at the IBAO, they said, you know, there's about what, 30, 40 vendors as part of the, the exhibit hall. And they, and they were kind of speculating, well, what about our, our place? Like, do we want to be on the corner? Do we not? And we had this interesting conversation that I thought was worthwhile here is talking about the value of brand. Mm. And like by my initial comment for this event's about 1,500 to 2,000 people, of which there's, call it 25 to 40 exhibitors. This is um, IBO? Yeah. It's more than that. The is it a bit more? The exhibitors, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe So maybe up to 60 maybe 60, yeah. And... I, what I kind of felt like for this event, it's a, it's pretty like dialed in and niche. Oh yeah, everyone who's there like knows exactly what's going on. So I thought that's a good example where you don't really need to overthink your booth location as much as it is sure. around having um, a really great reputation and building up that brand within this niche audience. Yeah. So I feel like the success of the event won't really matter where you are if people know who you are. Sure. And conversely, if you're in the greatest spot or perceived spot and no one knows who you are, it still might not be a great event for you. Right. Then you contrast that to these events, you know, 10,000 people in like a true exhibit hall. Right. That's where location matters a lot more. Yeah. And I think it, the strategy is a lot, it can be, can be much different if you're like, hey, this is more of a discovering us as a vendor within an industry that we may or may not be well known in. Yes. You know, okay, so then what are we doing at the booth? How does that factor in? I don't think they're the same strategy as saying, hey, you know, we've been marketing within the IBAO audience for seven or eight years. There's a good chance that like, I mean, most of the people that we meet and see at the event at this stage know who we are. 
you know, so then it's like, okay, well, how does that factor into what we're doing at the booth and how do we approach the experience? For sure. But even it's not, it's, it certainly doesn't just start in the event on those two, three, four days, whatever it is. Like, I, I feel like even if you're doing these large scale conferences, you've thought about where the location is, you're mm-hmm. trying to get close to the food, but not be annoying about, you know, all that stuff, right? Are you near the coffee bar? Are you near the bathrooms? Whatever. But I think it still goes back to, there's got to be a level of digital spend around building your brand with that audience so that once they're there at that event, sure. They can actually recognize who you might be and try to separate you from all the other vendors perhaps they haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of, you know, get some differentiation there. But I think it's really interesting to think about right now, like return on ad spend is the big thing. All of our customers are talking about it. I'm sure every other marketer is thinking about it as well. And some of this is kind of, okay, well, if we invest in the brand and start building up with our core audiences, yep. will you see that come into play at small and even large scale events? So. I don't want to go too far off the, I know we're wrapping up and jumping into another subject, but I thought that was really interesting as it relates to these events and sort of reintegrating events back into your sort of marketing, marketing program. Mix, yeah. Um, so great. So that was a good little run on, on the event strategies. Like I was saying before, we'll probably do number of events next year uh, and mm-hmm. just, you know, it makes sense. Right. Um, on the insurance side, probably some of the more regional stuff we're looking at getting together with the associations, yeah. getting together with, uh, some of the broker networks that also provide content to their to their member base so that that way we're not introducing yet another uh, breakfast or yet yet another event that, that the brokers have to go to, you know, to, in order to get mm-hmm. the content to show up. Hey, can we get a two-hour slot or a one-hour slot at your already kind of like uh, scheduled event that you have? So that's really cool. I know Jen's working on that. And then we'll probably get into some of our, I'm sure we'll run at least a customer appreciation event and some Goose other. Con. Yeah, <laughs> GooseCon with a focus on AI because that's the big deal, which maybe is our segue into AI. Yeah, well, we wouldn't want to build the content for this uh, event right now given the, the pace of change going on with AI. It feels like it changes all the time. Yeah. Um, so, I, like, from my perspective, like, I think it's been really fascinating to watch AI because like ChatGPT just exploded perhaps the most viral solution or product we've ever seen on a B2B level. Mm-hmm. And certainly implications in the B2C as well. I planned a holiday over <laughs> ChatGPT mm-hmm. this summer. Um, so I, I think what's really interesting is seeing and hearing marketers figure out, well, how can I actually use this? Like there's initially the, the worry of oh, is ChatGPT and AI in a more broader sense, taking my job. Well, I even have a job in a year. Sure. So that's extreme. I think we're, we're all pretty comfortable there. But I, I think what we're seeing now is a bit more nuanced around the role that AI could play mm-hmm. in helping us be more efficient, more effective, frankly, even produce more quality volume right. of output of work, et cetera. And I think um, we were talking just before we started filming about um, Dreamforce and the large takeaways from Salesforce's huge event. And you know, a lot of it was around intelligence and AI and just how can we be more efficient? But what I, what I appreciate about it, like Salesforce always has the big story, right? And they're really good about painting the vision mm-hmm. and sort of bringing in all the different clouds and stuff like that. That's a big part of what's made them successful today. It's going to be tomorrow as well. Sure. But what I liked was it wasn't super over the top, like use Salesforce to bring a taxi that'll get you to a helicopter and it's going to move you around the world. It wasn't crazy, but what it was more about was um, they had this line and it was, we can all be Einstein's. And the idea is how can we make you just a bit more efficient, a bit smarter in what you do, whether you're using service cloud, sales cloud, marketing cloud. 
And, and I really liked that. It was just, it was more realistic. It was more straightforward to wrap your head around rather than this big thing of like, oh, is AI going to do everything and blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. But what it really said to me is your job's not going anywhere, but I think the expectations around how you use AI has become the new core factor. And I think there's a lot of marketers out there in a year's time whose performance reviews or key deliverables are going to be finding ways to integrate these um, emerging tools as part of your day-to-day -day workflow so that you can get more done yep. and be more efficient around what you're doing. That you as a great marketing resource in your organization, you're doing the critical thinking that AI can't and you're slaving out um, a bit more of like the number crunching or like the yeah. sort of like quote-unquote dumb work. Yep to AI because that's a better use of your time. So that's where I think I've got this like thought around like how, you know, watching Iron Man or, or Tony Stark use Jarvis, right? <laughs> and he's like, so I think there's like a big difference between how does a, a junior, a, 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 someone that's more like on the early end of their career, right? They're just getting into a marketing career, use these AI tools versus like somebody that is, let's say intermediate, not, not like a VP level role, but somebody that's still in the, in the, the throes of doing like generating work. So maybe manager, maybe, it, mm -hmm. maybe it's a director in, in a, in a smaller company who's still kind of heavily involved in, in getting things done. So when you use then how are they using it? So when you look at like somebody like a Tony Stark, like he, he's a genius level, like he'd be your senior your most senior kind of marketing resource, right? Mm -hmm. He gets all this stuff, right? And then he's using the AI to do exactly what he needs to do, but he's he's the way he's using it is at the sort of highest level of of challenging concepts and um, strategic initiatives that he's trying to pump out, right? So then in that sense, a lot of those menial tasks that he wasn't doing or he was downgrading or, or delegating down to more juniors, in some way, those those people aren't getting the work anymore. So, hey, you know, we got images that need to be built. We, we've got a certain level of our strategy that requires this quote unquote grunt work. You know, we got to go write 200 headlines for, you know, these pages that exist all over the place or like, you know, what we did. We'll talk about that later about how we like built out all these YouTube descriptions and stuff like that for hundreds and hundreds of videos. It's like, you know, in the past, the, 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 that was delegated down. Somebody had the strategy at the higher level, how we're going to do it. But then... The, the, the implementation of that strategy had to be done by a junior. So definitely they're not getting that work anymore. That's for sure. Even when you look at, so then you look at like a, a more junior role. It's like, well, you know, I've got this learning curve to figure out how to do coding and how to do a certain level of like my job that I just really don't know how to do. So on the one hand, you could argue, well, okay, so the AI is going to help you write that code faster. It's going to help you you know, get there in ways that you've never even been able to do before. Hey, you're yep. getting into Salesforce. Let's say, let's go back to Salesforce example. You're trying to write some code for Salesforce. It can do that for you. It can get you there. On the flip side of that coin, it's like, well, you know what? You're not getting that task anymore because the the intermediate to senior Salesforce admin who would have delegated that small task to go write that dynamic field that's going to now calculate yeah. X, Y, and Z. They're not even giving you that job anymore because now he gets the AI to write it. And and by the way, it's not perfect. So he gets a, something back that's like 93%. Ex oh, but, you know, our Still instance. Still faster blah, blah, blah. for and her to go. For her, yeah, yeah. She can now just get that done. Oh, in an afternoon on 15 minutes before before she leaves on a Friday to go home. 
that task never made it down. So it's really interesting when you think about like, where is the work being displaced, you know, and, and, yeah. you know, how, how does that change? You know, if you've got somebody that doesn't have the knowledge and they're, and they're more junior, how can they use the AI to develop that knowledge? Or is it garbage in and garbage out? And they're just, you know, they're kind of spinning their wheels and they never get the tasks that a more, that a more senior would typically delegate to them. So that's, it's an interesting thought too. I think the other thing is if you think of someone who's, or any of us, the, the early, early onset of your career, you kind of don't know what you don't know. Right. I mean, we still don't, but to an extent, like you're really just kind of feeling things out. So to that point, because you, you have such limited visibility of your role, what your role is supposed to do, how could, like, how could you know? It's like, how would you think to use AI when you don't really know much? Sure. I think what this kind of does is it allows you to invest the time to actually start learning the space and your job and your company and even make a list of what your daily to-dos are going to be. Yeah. And then you can assess, well, what are some of those things that I should just own? If it's all knowledge-based stuff, you should own that. If it's more like the heads down executional stuff, perhaps there's a solution that can automate or at least but help if you're, you be if, efficient. If you're, the junior, if you're the more junior resources that were coming into an agency, hey, you know, you definitely don't own the strategy. You, you're definitely not making a lot of these decisions, but you're given the work to go yeah. do the basic copywriting in accordance to the strategy, do the basic, uh, not the, you know, do the copywriting, do the, do the ad creatives to, to bring it back to us, do the, <clears throat> do the incremental little adjustments here on the website that we need or whatever, build out some email templates. And now, and, and actually through that process, you are learning the strategy. What through that, through that process of doing the, the, that type of work, you're saying, Hey, mm -hmm. now I can see how the emails and the copywriting or the, the ad creative that's, that's being put together here and the copy who, by the way, Kevin's making the decision up the tr the chain on how, on what to do and is the person that's reviewing and approving it, I'm learning about how that works. I'm learning about how to put sure. together a marketing strategy. Now, There's maybe those tasks never make it to that person. Oh, you know what? You're, so you could argue that there's almost going to be like a talent gap now in certain, in certain, it's like, well, they're not even learning that. They're not yeah. learning about how they're not connecting those dots, especially if you get AI specialists or AI marketers that, you know, we saw this already with tech marketers, MarTech, tech marketers that came in to the, to the world and was like, hey, I'm, I'm using tools. They're not even marketing. They're not even marketing people, right? I mean, yeah, they took a course for two years at university and they got right into tech marketing. But what are they doing? They're 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 using Google. They're using HubSpot. They're using so they're kind of like process builders for marketing reasons, right? So like yeah. so there's a strategic marketer above them that's driving it now, and hopefully that person was starting to put some dots together. But they were they were pulling the levers on the machine. Now you wonder, well, geez, if they're not even getting that work, where does that leave us? And mm. and especially if that intermediary person is an AI driver, oh, you know what, no problem. I can go shoot that out and get the 200 images that we need and the 300 headlines that we need and all this kind of stuff, put it all together for us. Okay, where's the marketing strategist? Now, how do we groom juniors to, to bring them into marketing strategy? But I love the idea so much there. Um, one of the things I like, you know, this idea of like testing and iteration almost always gets lost on nimble organizations who just don't have the, the resources and time or mm -hmm. bandwidth to go and do those things. And here's like a good example. Take this this podcast right here. So we'll film it. We'll ask our team to um, edit it, make it look good, any enhancements they need to do, 
put on, you know, sort of intros and outros and mm-hmm. upload and all that stuff and oh, come up with the headlines and, and blah, blah, blah. So then we do that and that's enough work. What we'll never get to is can you come up with four or five different headlines and uh, the little mini sort of snippets, we call them, and like try iterating on different ones like that. Come up with 20 headlines, call it down to four, test them in an audience. Right. We never get there because we also have limitations on bandwidth and sure. whatnot. So it was like, can we use AI to go and do some of that stuff and really level up again that output? Well, I would say it's almost the opposite. It would be use AI to generate all the stuff that we're doing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then and free them up to. So that's kind of where I was going around. You know, now what you're what you're kind of saying is that your your most junior levels that might have been responsible for like performing and it might be different people. You know, if you have a graphic designer that you hired out of school who's a decent graphic designer, but if we really examine the work that they're doing. 80% 80% of it is kind of basic level stuff that keeps our business as yeah. usual programs off the ground. And at the end of the day, once we go through the, the tooling can easily be replicated out through an AI process. Okay. Now we don't have higher level design available for that person. Yeah. They got 20% of it, but we only do 20% of high level design. We, we don't have that. So now that person's out of work, right? Or now we have to like realize that the, the, they're not going to be the strategist. They're not going to be the marketing strategist in Maybe. many cases, now, right? You would, hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course, but you would, next time, you would say, well, I'm going to hire for the kinds of skill sets we don't think we can outsource, right? Oh, this person's actually a, like a blue flame thinker. They're just, they're really smart about these things. They have limited design chops. That's fine. We've got a solution for the design stuff that gets 80%, 90% of what we need done there. What we can't outsource is that kind of thinking and strategic ability to wrap themselves around a challenge and come up with some level of solution or at least position a level of solution. I think it's going to make and force marketers to be more effective on those things. Yeah, I think I think if you're and I think in many cases, if you have, let's say you've got a team of 10 graphic designers and then you go through that 80-20 rule and you realize, wow, like a lot of their work can now go to the AI Who's doing that? Well, in many cases, it's not the designer. It's not the graphic designer. That person is not going to be, and I'm not saying that like, I'm not here to like slam graphic designers because I mean, I'm sure many of them could do this function, but I do know from working with a bunch of them that they are probably not the individual that can strategically go out and map out for a client. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to transition my 80-20 and 80% of it's now going to go into an AI generation and and I'm going to come back and do the editing and review. They're not, that's not them. They're, 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 they open up Adobe every day. They're given a creative brief. They build graphics. That's, that's what they do. So now you have to look at a different type of, of leader that is, you know, again, like you said, has a strategic thinking hat on to say, I'm also a graphic designer and I'm going to go build the process that allows my team to go use the AI and yeah. bring it back and, and reserve the higher level design and whatever that process looks like. So Here, here's an interest. This is what's going to, some will fall into this and some won't, but you free up, you take a, a lot of that stuff, like the day-to-day stuff off their plate. Can some of them elevate up to almost operating more like a creative director of sorts, right? Really thinking about the role that brand plays in like the overall perspective of the organization, mm-hmm. and, you know, ensuring that brand elements are consistent on documents, internal, external, and what does it look like? What are you putting out there on all of your different channels? We've got like 20 channels that we have to be out now. 
Sure. Right? So it's some can make that jump because you've taken all the other stuff off their plate. They're like, great, I have bandwidth to wrap my head around this. And sure, there might be take six to 12 months for them to really get into the space of the new role, mm-hmm. grow into it, <clears> if you will. Some will have a real tough time there because it's just not in their skill set today. Exactly. But I think that's exciting. It's going to provide opportunity for some. It will be difficult for others. But like any major evolution of, call it humanity, there's people who rise to the occasion and there's people who will need a bit more time in order to it's, get there. It's interesting concept about, uh, I think, who is best positioned to actually to take that opportunity within these AI jobs. And and my gut, I, look, there's going to be like different options at different role levels, I think. But off the, off the cusp, I think it's those people that are intermediate, that understand what we're trying to achieve with the job. Oh, yeah, you know what? We go out and we put out graphics and this yeah. is how we do it. And oh, I can see that I can use these three or four tools to go build that out. And it's it's less likely going to be that individual, that more junior individual that's now going to be able to put all those pieces together. And, th- you know, there might be other things that we're not talking about right now that those junior individuals can now pick up and say, hey, this is how I leverage myself up yeah. in order to get there. But I do see that as a big gap. If you're... If you've got a copywriting team and you got a bunch of people that that's all they do, and now you've got well, I that's all that's just what I do. I write. I mean, I'm not I'm not a strategic thinker to go map out how we can blow out 250 plus yeah. headlines and use tools and da 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 da. To, but I can't not be a copywriter. I can't be a. I can't be. This is what's interesting is that I can't just be a tech person to stitch things together. I ha- it has to go through a quality. It's like you have to have that graphics, like you said, a creative director has to bring it all back and say yeah the ai did its job the way that it should have the copywriting that came back makes sense toward to, to yeah. what we need as a business but you know what i mean but that's again that's a higher level resource that is leveraging the tool sets yeah but i think you know where we're really going with this like ai is not taking jobs today or tomorrow that's a super long-term thing that is I it don't, i don't think we need to be thinking about right is now. it what it's it's not taking jobs sorry it's not like wiping out all jobs. Well, okay. It's going to help pivot and force change. But I think to me, like the biggest thing here, it's not, I should say this, it's not taking out most people's day to day. What it's going to do though, and I think the impetus on marketers specifically, this is a marketing show, mm-hmm. is <clears throat> you really have to get familiar with these tools and understand how they can help you in delivering higher levels of output or being more efficient with your time. Sure. That's really the big key to me. If you can figure that out, you're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of most of your peers. I, I, I definitely think people don't want to go through their organization and say, hey, you know, we can take out 40% of the cost in this department by shifting it over to AI. But that's going to happen. I, 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 don't I don't think that's the message. And some might not even kind of quite recognize it for what it is. I think it's more going to be one day you're looking at your team and saying, wow, these two individuals over here are just cranking out a level of volume at a level of quality we haven't seen before. Sure. And, oh, wow, they're just being so much more productive or they're really thinking more critically about the big things in the business and they're coming to the table with great ideas. They're asking profound questions that now it's forcing senior leadership to really think about as far as the direction of the business because they're out of the weeds of some of the other stuff. I, I think it's a little bit, I think to have that, you you need to have a company that has enough other work to do. I, th- I think you're going to find that 
perhaps you know you're you're gonna people will get hit by this and it's gonna come down to once the organizations wrap their head around how the tools can integrate and they realize whoa we can take 40 percent off you know again how big's your marketing team but that, is it that's more the key a, right there though yeah i think you just you hit the nail on the head what um is really being able to put two and two together as far as how can we integrate these tools into our roles? Because I think a lot of marketers at a high level go, okay, AI is coming, I get it. And maybe even know the difference between generative AI and some of the other AIs. Mm -hmm. But they're not really sure exactly the role these tools can play in helping efficiencies or-, or Yeah, whatever. but I think, I think there'll be, I think you're right in terms of the broader spectrum of people that are out there, but I think it's gonna happen it probably already has because we don't have like all the research at our fingertips to know. But sure. if we go back to like, you know, a shift to say sort of like low code, no code type systems, right? Mm -hmm. Which wasn't that long ago and it's it's happening quite quickly. You know, what you're, okay, so applications aren't being developed the same way. These web apps aren't being developed the same way as they were, you know, a number of years ago for certain types of web apps. So now you're not launching a stack on AWS and maintaining that and having DevOps and all these individuals that shifted over. Well, now you're going to see that even in a bigger way with the, there's just so many human resources that are involved in things that the AI can take off, you know, and, and they can just be like, well, don't, we don't need, we don't need that quality control to the same degree on our code that we used to have. So, but we still need a high-level QA analyst or senior yeah. QA. Quality filter. We still need somebody at the higher level. But what we don't need is an army of five QA analysts double-checking all this stuff like we used to have because the AI can rip through it at 330,000 words a second or whatever it can do and, and help us find where the issues are, right? And now one person can do the job of, of five. So I it, it's... It's weird. I just, and that's where I look at it and be like, dang, like some of these smaller level roles or these more junior level roles might actually be hit in some way, shape or form. And if they can't pivot to leverage the AI to, to up, to upweight their own career, it goes back to the Tony Stark, you know, Tony Stark's the genius using <laughs> Jarvis to do more. It's not, it's not like the, 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 the failure, the guy that failed physics is trying to run Jarvis. Jarvis is going to be like, you, you can't even interface with me. You're too, you're too stupid. So, okay, Tony Stark is the original AI. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. Jarvis, Jarvis, no, Jarvis, yeah. But he's the original uh, user, user yeah. of the AI. Yeah, driving the AI, right? Well, it goes back to what you said. It's like, how do you, you know, how, like you have to have a certain level of, of, you know, you need to know what you want to get it out of the system, right? Do you think, especially like large organizations, it's one thing if it's like a startup, right? They're just going to use whatever tools they need to to get the jobs done, but something we haven't talked about and possibly a different episode altogether would be having some sort of like AI administrator internally oh, for large organizations 100%. to sort of effectively make the call of, is this something we're comfortable replacing? Yeah. Oh no, we're going to wipe out half of our team. Well, I'm not sure we want to do that right now. Like what are the thinking about the implications of yeah, bringing these tools in for various functions? hundred percent. I, I, you know, I, I really think that we're just at the beginning of it, but I, I, uh, we're, we're yeah. going to look at bringing like, uh, 
we're going to look at having a role inside of Goose Digital that is 100% look, how do we evaluate, how do we embed? And I don't think it can be down to like the individual departments necessarily. I think there's a, an element of that to say, hey, take a look. But for it not to be a distraction, you almost need to have one person that's like, my job is to go and I'm going to have five apart departments that I'm going to evaluate for and really understand what the landscape looks like and how we can embed some tools. Yeah, like what's the methodology for why we would consider bringing something in? Yeah. How do we deploy it? How do we test it? What are the, we, we have to come up with like three to five sort of metrics to say, is it worth doing this? Yeah. What's the... Uh, what are we trying to measure on the way out? Yeah. yeah but even yeah. like, what's the expectation? Like, how long is this going to take yeah. for us to come to a, a reasonable conclusion of uh, helpful or not? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I can imagine, you know, some organizations like they don't know, well, how could it not even from a marketing, but how could it help them as an overall business? You know, what are what's the landscape of, you know, this is a marketing podcast. so We're not going to get into like other other business processes but i could see an argument if you're the board of a hundred million dollar xyz company to be like we don't really know what what we need yet or, or how it can help yeah. us but we're going to go bring in an ai even if it's like a consultant part-time or maybe we're just going to yeah. bring a role in and we're just going to let that person run around and figure out like how we might be able to best leverage it inside of our organization because there's like boatloads of applications that you can start to think about customer service, internal training, like just, just like the so list many. is endless, right? Yeah, but th this is like, we see this all the time in, in tech evolutions. Like look at um, really quick here, like whether it's Uber might be the best one, right? Because tech moves faster than policy or process. Sure. It, it's just always going to be the case. And if, if anything, it's going to, it's going to move faster and faster before municipalities, cities, countries, states, whatever. Can even adjust. Yeah. Yeah. You've got hundreds of millions of rides every year in major cities on uber and then you've got like taxis and like um affiliated groups and associations of taxis they're like what just happened yeah in less than six months we just got know, a third of our business just wiped out and taken away yeah and you still can't adjust to it but as uber's evolved it's not just a ride hailing company it's it's a way to do your groceries it's a way to have like kind of like retail fulfillment and all these other things too which is really interesting like I don't know, different kinds of um, driving. Like sometimes we'll send our babysitter home in an yeah. Uber. It's, yeah. a, it's a more safe way to do that, whatever. So I think all these kind of use cases emerge as it becomes a part of like the new way of living or the new way of doing things. And mm -hmm. so to your point on early days of, of AI, like, I mean, gosh, like I feel like this podcast will date itself in about a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll be like, oh, we've started embedding it in these ways. So I think that AI manager is going to be crucial and, What's the spirit of what we're trying to do? We're trying to keep up with this stuff. How do we thoughtfully think about bringing it in? Yeah. Measure it accordingly, things like that. Yeah. All right, good. Well, I think that was a good unhinged. Totally unhinged. We were all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> started, we kind of started on two ends of the spectrum of like, you know, the most, I'll call it like basic, you know, in-person type marketing, i.e. events. Yeah. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, AI. So how does... AI go in sort of like events. influence events. That's going to be the next podcast. Event AI. <laughs> Event AI, yeah. Uh, right. Okay, good. That's awesome. Thank you. Perfect.